On today's episode, we interview Dr. Michael Biamonte, who is the founder of the Biamonte Center for Clinical Nutrition. He is the co-creator of BioCybernetics, which is an unprecedented computer software program that is able to study your blood work, your mineral tests, and many other lab tests to determine exactly where your body is imbalanced and designed it was initially designed for aerospace purposes, but we dive deep into candida today. We dive into why candida can be an underlying cause of a lot of seemingly random symptoms and how you can go about resolving your root causes. Live your life within the moment, moment, and don't go wait until the morning, morning. You never know when it is over. Welcome back to The Food Code. Today, we have Michael Biamonte with us, and we are very excited to dive in today. We are going to talk all things microbiome and candida, which is uh, very cool. We have seen this a lot in our clinical practice, and it is something that many people struggle with and they don't even know it. Uh, And so I'm excited to dive into this today as this is an area of expertise. So Welcome. Please introduce yourself to our audience and how did let us know how you got into this field of nutritional medicine. Well, it's a long story, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of it. Um, when I was about 17 or 18, my father had cancer and unfortunately he passed away. But I started to interact with his doctors and I started asking them, what about vitamins and nutrition, you know, because I used to listen to Colton Fredericks. My father did too. We, Colton Fredericks was one of the first nutritionists, one of probably one of the most famous ones because he had a radio show on WOR, radio, radio in New York. Eventually, when he passed away, Colton, Colton Fredericks left the show to Bob Atkins okay. and Robert Atkins took over the show. So I was listening. I was listening to Gary Null. I was listening to all these guys on New York radio, they were all nutritionists. And as I said to the doctors, you know, what about all this stuff I'm hearing? I'm hearing this stuff about Laetrile, all these things. They said, oh, no, that's all nonsense. There's, you know, it's all baloney. And usually when someone, when I'm hearing about something and then someone else just throws it aside and says it's all nonsense, I get curious. So I started to research these things and I became just fascinated with all the data I was getting on alternative medicine. And at that time, I was in college for music which I did eventually get my degree in music. But I went back to school and became a naturopath because I was the more I read about it and the more the doctors were ditching it and saying it's all baloney, they just got me because I started to research why they were saying this. And I started to see how alternative medicine was really going to come in on their turf. And it was a matter of dollars, really, what's going to happen here. As we all know, this was back in 1984, but I was already seeing into the future that alternative medicine was going to take a big bite into their business. So I researched, 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 and then I decided to go to naturopathic school. And when I was in naturopathic school, my um, sort of expertise was the interpretation of laboratory tests. And I had this idea that what I want, now computers were new back then. This was a brand new thing that you didn't have what we have now by any means. But I had this idea that um, if I had a computer I could feed the computer information on someone's lab work and the computer can do an immediate analysis on it based on algorithms that I would write for the computer. And the computer would give me a whole program, a whole analysis. So I was, I was um, learning about this. Now, back then computers had four gigs of Ram that that was what we had. That was, that was considered like a, a fast computer back then. 
So I'm working, I'm working at this and I'm writing these algorithms and I happen to be in a health food store in Massapequa, Long Island. And I'm talking to the lady there about what I want to do, how I had, you know, I just got out of naturopathic school. I know all this about interpreting blood work in ways that doctors wouldn't know. It's I was telling her about Ken Brockman, who was a chiropractor at that time, who was, we used to call him the barnstormer because Ken Brockman literally was taking all this blood work and interpreting it from a nutritional standpoint instead of a pathology standpoint, which is what a doctor does. I'm telling her all this, and she says, you have to call Dr. Santoro. He is He already has this set up. You have to meet him and talk to him. So she gave me this gentleman's card. I called him on the phone, and he started to tell me about his background. It turns out Robert Santoro was a naturopath, but he was also an aerospace physiologist. And he happened to be the man who built the life support systems on the lunar module. But he was now building a computer that he called biocybernetics, which means the study of self-regulating biological organisms. And he was building this computer. And literally what he was doing, he took a guidance physiology book. He took Harper's biochemistry. He took everything he could find from Dr. Brockman, from Jim Sima, all these guys who were just coming on the, the now brand new internet who had all this data on like very high tech interpretation of blood work. And he was putting it all on a computer. And he had a son at the time who just graduated with his PhD in computers. So his son was writing all this computer language for him. So they were going at this. So I went and I met him and I told him some of the ideas I had, and it was just an instant match. We worked together like for the next 20 years, developing this computer that we called biocybernetics. And to this day, the biocybernetics computer is the only software I know of that's an actual model of the human body. It works on Fortran language. And you basically, you give the computer the results of somebody's blood work, their urine test, something like the oats test. You can give it hair analysis, mineral patterns. You can even give it chiropractic and acupuncture, um, uh, let's say uh, chiropractic adjustments, acupuncture points that are being worked on. You give this computer the data and it does a simulation of the person's body going step-by-step step through every known physiological and, and biochemical pathway. And it has a product module where it then looks for supplements to give to correct what it finds it's wrong. But see, the computer doesn't say this guy has this disease or something like that. It speaks only in physiology to avoid practicing medicine without a license, it, it, it thinks this way. So the computer looks through all your physiology and then it reports back and it tells us the physiological or biochemical or nutritional pathways, which failed on this person, they're not working. And then it says, well, this supplement from whatever company you have that it's looking at, because we have like 17 different um, vitamin companies logged in there. The standard process is in there, metametrics, mm -hmm. metagenics, um, pure encapsulations, all the com major companies are in there. So it will look and it will tell you what supplements this person needs to take. And the computer has a retest module. So when the person comes back, it looks at their new test, compares it to the old test, and then it updates it using artificial intelligence. So I was working with the working on this, and this was my main my main thing. And we had a bunch of people who weren't responding correctly because we were using it on the side. We, it's, the, the project was for NASA. NASA was supposed to own the computer and they were supposed to use it for the astronauts when they were in the space station to check their, their calcium, their nitrogen balance and whatnot. 
but we were using it on patients at the same time as part of the development. And we had some people who were getting just strange reactions to the vitamins. 70% of the people were getting great reactions. It was reversing their asthma. It was reversing their osteoporosis on and on and on. It was curing people of diabetes. I'm not allowed to say the word cure, but it was. But there was about 20 to 30% of the people that had weird reactions. And then when I interviewed these people, I found that they always had strange reactions to vitamins and medications. It seemed like they were chemically intolerant to them. And when I started to investigate what was wrong with these people, I found that there was some kind of imbalance they had in their intestinal tract. So back then, um, the prominent lab was Great Smokies, which you guys might know now as Genova Labs. Mm-hmm. But Great Smokies was the original Genova. And I was very friendly with those guys there, Steve Barrett and Marty Lee, who were then the heads of the lab. And I told them about this and they said, let's run some stool tests on these people. So we went ahead and we did it. And sure enough, they all had candida. So like like, like a dummy, I say to them, you know, we found you have candida and that's why you're having these intolerances to the vitamins. Go to your medical doctor, tell him you have candida, get him to cure you, and then come back and we'll put you on this. That's how naive I was back then. <laughs> then we'll, we'll put you back on the program. Well, that didn't go over big. They called me and they told me the doctor says there's no such thing as candida. He says everybody has candida. It doesn't make a difference. All these stories like this. So I told, told him, well, I'll tell you what, do this. Go to Dr. Atkins or go to Ronald Hoffman in Manhattan. Because they know about this and they'll be able to help you. So they, they did this. They went and they said, wow, that was totally a different experience. They knew what I was talking about. And they said, they looked at the test and they said, you were right. And they put me on Nystatin. And for a few weeks, I started to feel better. And then all my symptoms came back. And I called them and told them and they said, well, let's raise the dose. So they raised the dose and it got even worse. I just, so I don't know what to do. So I said, well, I'm going to have to research this myself and figure out what's going on. And that was um, in 1987. So probably around 2000 or so, I had a workable protocol for Candida that was self-correcting, which is the key thing about, about the protocol. And then eventually it was around 2015, we started working on the book, The Candida Chronicles, which explains the protocol and explains everything I discovered. And how I did this was interesting. I listened to the patients. I heard what they were telling me that was going wrong. And then I went back into the textbooks on mycology and biome, and I found what was going on in the textbook. So they would tell me, well, you know, the medicine works for a while, and then it stops. I went into the mycology books, and I found that candida is very resistive and mutative. And when candida is exposed to the same antifungal for more than 21 days, it begins to mutate. The mother cells start to tell the daughter cells that gives them DNA and and RNA information so that they can change somehow to avoid being killed by the medicine. And then I just kept getting more and more. Every time somebody gave me some new data, I went back to the textbooks to figure it out. People were telling me they were spending all this money on probiotics, hundreds of dollars a month, and it was doing nothing. So I went back and I started looking at books on probiotics, um, and I found that probiotics won't stick to your gut lining until you get rid of the candida. The candida physically repels them. So anybody taking probiotics while they still had candida, they were throwing their money out the window. And this went on and on and on and on and on until I, I basically had all the data and I felt 
confident that I had unraveled the riddle, the riddle of Candida. And all this data is in the book that I wrote, the Candida Chronicles. It explains all of these things, like why you have to rotate antifungals, why taking probiotics is a waste of time until you get the Candida down to a correct level, why certain vitamins flare Candida up, which most people don't know. Um, coenzyme Q10, B-complex vitamins, they flare Candida up, and there's real scientific reasons why. And there are reasons why other vitamins block your antifungals from working. Any antioxidant that you take at the time that you're taking an antifungal drug will neutralize that effect because most all antifungal drugs are trying to create oxidative stress against the membrane of candida. And when you take antioxidants, guess who's also taking them? The candida is also absorbing the antioxidant and it's neutralizing the effect of the medication. So all of this data got compiled until I finally had the protocol. And then we started to use the protocol on people and there, here we are today. It's amazing. And I think it would be good for our listeners. I mean, we've talked about candida a few times on our podcast, but just for you to kind of briefly touch on symptoms. What is candida? How might you know, other than stool testing, uh, that you could potentially have a candida overgrowth? Even stool testing, before we go further, stool testing is very um, iffy with candida. And there's a reason. Um, back in the old days with Marty Lee and Steve Barry, when we used to give seminars on the new CDSA test, that was when it was brand new. I would, when I would do the seminars, I would teach doctors that how you interpret a stool test is not by looking for candida because half of the time it's not going to find it because the culture won't be able to replicate the candida because the candida is dead by the time it gets to the lab. What you have to look for is absence of friendly bacteria. If there's an absence of friendly bacteria or normal flora on the gram-negative and gram-positive side, the person automatically is going to develop candida. And if you're lucky enough to have a microscopy study done, when they're looking at the stool, you look under the microscope for dead yeast cells. If you find a lot of dead yeast, you know that's from candida because the dead yeast had to be alive at one point, you see? So that's another way you use a stool test in order to determine that. But to go back to your original question, Candida is a fungus, and it's often been called, been called a chameleon because it's able to literally flip itself from a fungus to a yeast instantaneously, back and forth. And it does this in order to avoid what it feels is a threat to something killing it. Now, as a fungus or as a yeast, it mostly lives in your digestive tract. It can also live in, a, it lives in any mucous membrane. Like women famously get yeast infections. That's candida expressing itself as a yeast overgrowth. Men can get jock itch jock rashes. People can get overgrowth in their mouth where they have a condition that the Indians used to call furry tongue, which is thrush. So it's normal to have can candida is in the digestive tract and mucous membranes of all mammals, birds, humans, everything, everyone. The problem is when it overgrows. In small amounts, it actually has some use. It helps stimulate your intestinal immunity. And it serves as food for friendly bacteria like bifidus and acidophilus strains. When those friendly bacteria, which people know of now on the TV commercials as being probiotics, when they become disturbed in your gut, candida then starts to overgrow because the food chain essentially has been interfered with. Those friendly bacteria aren't there anymore to eat the candida, so the candida grows wild. And once it does that, it can cause up to 150 different symptoms, things that would range from skin rashes to asthma to allergies, to um, brain fog, cognitive problems. It just goes on and on and on. 
And that's the thing about candida that's so interesting is it creates so many diverse symptoms. A person may never catch on to it because people tend to think, and now, especially in the last um, 20, 30, 40 years in medicine where we have specialties, people tend to think of things singularly. Like this rash has nothing to do with my hay fever or, or this has nothing to do with that, which is when it comes to candida, that's totally not true because it can cause so many diverse symptoms by making you toxic. It releases mycotoxins, which are fungal-related toxins. It releases alcohol into your system. There's a strain of uh, candida in Japan, which literally makes people legally intoxicated. There's candida auris now that's coming from Japan, which is drug-resistant to almost all the medications that we have. And um, the Various toxins that it releases can cause such a variety of symptoms. People very often just don't catch on. A woman, for instance, who has Demaria cervatitis is not going to connect that to her vaginal yeast infection. She's going to think the rash on her scalp has nothing to do with that, but they're directly related. And that's what's so interesting about candida to me is it causes so many different symptoms. You have to be a detective to try to figure it out. But once you figure it out and you see the connection, it all make, then it all makes sense. You know, this guy's got asthma and he's got bloating and gas. Well, they're like so many alternative practitioners now are talking about the gut health mm-hmm. and how gut health relates to so many different things. It, it all starts in the, in the gut and the colon, literally now we know for sure it does because candida also causes leaky gut syndrome. And leaky gut is at the basis of a lot of autoimmune conditions like lupus, MS, um, uh, uh, let's hypothyroidism where you have... Um, Hashimoto's, it goes, the list can go on and on what it can be related to. So I know a lot of people believe that the concept of like candida happen, overgrowth happens because of an unhealthy gut. So kind of like the, not necessarily the chicken and the egg situation, but you know, if we try to resolve the candida without in coincidence, addressing gut health as a whole, the candida can be very hard to, you know, eradicate essentially and calm down to an extent to where it's not causing the symptoms. Like you mentioned, small amounts of candida can be very commensal to an extent, but within your protocol, how is that like addressed to an extent, obviously very generic overview, but are there steps you do before putting in place something like an eradication agent or something that calms down the candida to make the gut more prepared to house a healthy environment to then not allow it to regrow? One of, the, one of the major discoveries I made was in developing a urine test, which um, looked for waste products that Candida would release into your urine, which were unique to Candida. Also looking for free radicals that Candida would produce. And then also looking at the indican levels in the urine. Indican is a chemical that's produced in your colon by bacteria and by microscopic parasites, which will putrefy tryptophan, which is part of your protein, and they'll, con- they'll convert it to indican. And indican basically makes your colon dirty. So having this urine test and then testing people with the urine test, again, having them take different antimicrobial agents was a major, major breakthrough for us because we got to see which would work and how they would work and how some wouldn't work. And at the same time, we were back in those days also doing stool cultures. So we were looking at the species of the candida the person had, trying these different um, remedies against that species and watching how the urine test reacted to them. And that's where I learned the most 
in terms of how everything worked. One of the first things I discovered was everyone who had candida to, to a greater or lesser degree had parasites. And when I went back in the books, it all made sense because the same dysbiosis that the person had, the same imbalance in their intestinal tract that would allow candida to, to, uh, to rise also would harbor parasites. And same thing, same thing was true with dysbiotic bacteria. We would very often find in people with candida that their stool cultures would show Klebsiella, Citrobacter, and H. pylori, which are very common with candida. So in looking at all of this, we started comparing what we found in the stool to the urine test and started developing patterns so that we didn't need the stool test anymore. We knew that if we had the indican was here and the free radical level was here and the protein from the candida was here, we knew that on the stool test, we were going to find such and such. So we accumulated all that data in order to find out which remedies were going to work the best against different species of candida. So when I discovered that all these people had parasites, the first thing we did is we put together our phase zero, which is our first step of treatment, which essentially was a mechanical program working mechanically to bind to and scrape and loosen organisms off the lining of the intestines. One of the main things we found at that time was the use of MSM sulfur. We found that MSM sulfur physically loosened pathogens off the lining of your intestinal tract. Then we found that then we looked into diatomaceous earth and how that worked against these microbes. And then we looked at enzymes that were able to digest the outside membrane of the candida. So putting this all together, we had our phase zero program, which mechanically started to remove the top layers, you can think of it this way, of all these bad organisms. So once we swept away those top layers, then we looked at the rotation of systemic um, antifungals in the form of botanicals to destroy the candida sort of in the middle layers of the intestine, but then get into the lymph system and kill it throughout the lymph and anywhere else the lymph would go. And since, since the, the liver and the lymph then drain into your colon, this was very important that we really made sure we hit those areas. Because if we didn't, the candida would escape from the colon into the lymph system and then try to go elsewhere. Then we found out that it, what, that wasn't good enough because the probiotics still weren't sticking. So we found that we had to reduce the deep, we could call it deep-seated candida that's in the gut. If that's the candida that actually repels the probiotics and stops them, stops them from sticking. And I found that the products that were the most effective in killing that layer of candida were the um, basically fatty acid-based antifungals, things like caprylic acid, undesalinic acid, uh, monolaurin. Uh, these products are able to kill that layer of candida because as fatty acids, they absorb directly into the tissues and they literally can kill or singe the candida at the root. The trick is they don't work in the beginning because that sounds great. I and mean, everybody run out and take those. I got, you're going to get such bad die off and it's not going to work because you've got to get rid of that first layer that phase zero addresses. And then you've got to get rid of all the middle layers that phase one addresses. Then those products, you can take them, then they'll work. Then you'll be able to tolerate the die off. The other thing we found then, we made a, a, a modification to phase zero where we started adding different things to phase zero, like molybdenum and other pantothene and products that would actually help the person cope with the die-off that they were going to get in the later phases. And that was, a, that was big because you, we changed one of our products that's called Candy Scrub, which does exactly what the name implies, but we put different types of clays and binders in there to bind 
the dead material and get it out of there so it didn't just sit there and fester and make the person sick. So by then, when we reached this point of understanding that these fatty acids would kill the candida at the roots, we then started to put the probiotics in and we started to get a response. But then I discovered that that wasn't good enough. I discovered that when a person had this problem for so long, you had to really give them a lot of prebiotics to change that environment so that the probiotics would be able to stick and survive in there. This is when we started to discover um, the use of, let's say, Saccharomyces, um, different types of whey proteins that would stimulate the intestinal immune response. Um, there's, there was a, there's a product called C-Curel, which actually has a very specific bacteria in there that aids the bifidus to grow again in your colon. We have FOS. We have all of these different prebiotics. And um, we found that those prebiotics would increase the growth of the bifidus and the lactobacillus species maybe by five times if you had the right dose in there. So just taking the probiotic wasn't enough. You had to feed the probiotic. You, it's like gardening. I always like to liken this to gardening. You have to pull out the weeds and then you have to put down the fertilizer and you have to put in the, the plant food. You have to put in these things that are going to make the environment copacetic so the organisms can grow in, an, in, a, in a good, healthy manner. So when we, when we had that down, now we, we knew at this point we really had it down as far as getting rid of the candida, getting the probiotics to grow, and then that opened up the door to the next mystery. Well, what else, what are the real underlying causes then of candida? And yes, antibiotics cause candida. Yes, steroid drugs cause candida. Estrogens cause candida. Antacids cause candida. All of these things can cause candida, but yet why is one person more susceptible to the next? So this is where we started to study the effects of toxic metals and different environmental toxins from petrochemicals and whatnot, organic phosphates on the biome. And sure enough, we found that things like arsenic, mercury, iron uh, toxicity, copper toxicity, aluminum toxicity, all these things would aid the growth of candida. If the person's unlucky enough to take an antibiotic and he's mercury toxic, boom, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. Then we looked at the results of hormone tests on people with candida, and we found that the people who had the biggest problems were those who were estrogen dominant or who had elevated cortisol levels. And we found that estrogen and cortisol had a similar effect. They both elevate the glucose level in the tiny capillaries in your intestinal tract that the candida seeks to feed on. And this is how candida eventually develops leaky gut syndrome. Candida, if you look at it under a microscope, looks like broccoli growing, and it grows roots. And the roots pierce through the capillaries in your blood vessels looking for sugar. So that's what it, that's what it feeds on. And that's how it causes leaky gut. It's by those, those roots looking, digging in there and trying to get glucose out of your blood vessels. So, when, yes. so looking at all this data, and then there, was, there were other things too, but those are some of the primary things that we found. Here are the underlying reasons. So when we get the biome back and you get your bifidus back in your colon, and when you get your bifidus back in your colon, then your phase one and phase two detoxification pathways all of a sudden work much better. There's, and there's a lot of data on how bifidus aids hepatic detoxification. When you get all that in, now the person can start detoxifying these other underlying issues they have, the chemical toxicities they have, the metal toxicities. They can get rid of that stuff so it doesn't cause them a relapse again if they're unlucky enough 
to happen to take an antibiotic if they're in an accident or, or some such thing, you see. So um, I touched for a second on leaky gut. And it, leaky gut is an interesting situation. I've had many patients come into my office and they sit down and they kind of have this look on their face. It's kind of like this. I just, I just ate the canary, you know, smirk. And then they say, I have the worst case of leaky gut you have ever seen in your whole professional career. I've been treating my leaky gut for 10 years and it's never gotten any better. So I said, okay, well, that's interesting. I said, now, so can you show me your leaky gut test? Oh, I don't, I never tested for leaky gut. I don't have to. I know I have it. I have all the symptoms. Well, you know, I said the symptoms of leaky gut kind of overlap with candida and um, metal toxicities. I, say, I have leaky gut. I know it. I, the, uh, the worst case. Okay. So, well, just humor me for a second. I want to run a leaky gut test on you and just see how bad it is. See, I'm not going to say maybe you don't have it. It's how bad it is, is what I want to see. Well, what you know, in a lot of these cases, it comes back, they don't have leaky gut. Now, they might have at one point, and maybe their treatment worked and they don't have it anymore, but they're confusing the symptoms of leaky gut with these other conditions. And this is where we get into what I call the concentric circles. You can have candida in the middle. You have a circle outside of that that's leaky gut. You have another circle that's mercury toxicity, metal toxicity, another circle here, which are hormonal imbalances, and they all exchange with each other. They all overlap. And therefore, the symptoms can be very confusing. A woman gets her menstrual cycle, and when she's premenstrual, the candida symptoms flare up. Why is that? It's because her estrogen is fueling the candida. So when you start looking at this from the viewpoint of concentric circles where they're all overlapping, then you can understand that testing is so important because you can't assume anything to symptoms. That's a, a great quote. You can't assume anything to some because there's so many things. I'm even thinking of like mold toxicity here, right? And just um, other pathogens that we've seen in practice that have a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. One thing that I would love for you to maybe touch on. So you mentioned candida loves sugar, right? It is going to sneak and find that sugar. So oftentimes, you know, for a few of the clients that I've worked with, they have almost like an out-of-body experience that they explained to me of, I have to get this urge filled. Um, I have to go to the store. I have to get the ice cream. I have to get the bag of candy, whatever it is. And it almost feels like I'm out of control. This is just not myself acting in my actions. Small case study, but all of them have had um, candida. And so have you seen that in your clinical practice in terms of these extreme cases of sugar cravings? Well, here's where, here's where I'm going to go a little hoogie-doogie on you guys. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is not scientific. I can't prove this. But in a lot of research in the last year, there has been data on how microorganisms living in your body somehow communicate with you, mm -hmm. whether they're communicating with you via your own nervous system or brain or whether it's on a, a spiritual level. It, it can be argued. But there is, there is data that correlates that microbes somehow communicate with your innate knowingness. And this is where some of this could fit in. It's a definite, definite thing that candida will cause physical sugar cravings in people because that's candida's trying to eat your food. It's taking your, your, your sugar and it's living off of that. 
So there is that, but there is also this aspect of the communication that exists between microorganisms and the host. And I would say it's probably due to both of these. Both of these are probably valid points to look at in terms of why that happens. But on the on the other side of it, though, what's oh, what we've always used kind of as um, an empirical marker or indicator is we notice that when the person's candida levels get better, the sugar cravings stop. Mm-hmm. Yep. We see the same thing. It's uh, mm-hmm. and I think the hard thing is that a lot of a lot of women, and I know you mentioned the connection with estrogen. Um, I am I love the deep dives of understanding estrogen and its relationship with autoimmune condition increase in women and, you know, the immune system function. And it's very fascinating to me. Uh, but women tend to shame and guilt ourselves for it. You know, where it's my fault. I can't control myself around the chocolate. I can't, you know, I have these urges and cravings. And a lot of times it is much deeper, obviously with things that are going on within our body. And we talk all the time about how bacteria and fungus and these parasites, we are bacteria, you know, like it's, that's extremely intelligent. Um, and we don't always give it the credit that it probably deserves because it can control a lot of things in terms of our health and our mind. Um, and it's definitely not, uh, not too woo woo for us. We, we, uh, we very much so believe clinical experience, I believe is just as important as research driven experience. So, um, if not more important in some cases, well, in uh, some cases it tells you where to look. Yes which is important. And that's where we then, the next subject becomes thyroid. Because we can't talk about estrogen without talking about thyroid. It's thyroid is what helps your body detoxify estrogens. And now when you start looking at thyroid, the reason I have a a website that's called the New York City Thyroid Doctor is because everybody with candida has thyroid problems. They all do. Thyroid and adrenal, the the two key things that that we knew or we noticed with candida patients, as soon as the candida and their biome was reset, all of a sudden, all these symptoms of thyroid and adrenal, they start to originate and start telling you. They never really talked about this before because they had problems that were much more severe, much more concerning. But now they start, you start hearing all the symptoms of low thyroid and low adrenal. Candida beats the hell out of your thyroid and your adrenal function. So that's other than handling the toxicity, that's the next thing. This is phase three now that we come to of the candida treatment. It's the next thing we want to look at. And when you start looking at thyroid, you, you find there's just tremendous false data and incomplete information out there. That, um, looking when, when you look at an endocrinologist and how they look at thyroid, they're very myopic in things. When yes, your levels and your blood are important, but there's a whole subject matter they know nothing about. They've heard of this somewhere, and it's actually in Guyton's physiology, but it's in terms of thyroid receptors. Virtually every cell in your body has a thyroid receptor. The key ones are your liver and your kidneys. And thyroid receptors are all balanced by minerals. And it's the mineral ratio between calcium and potassium and zinc to copper, which govern how well your body accepts thyroxine, how well it converts thyroxine to T3, and how sensitized your cells are essentially to thyroxine. It, it, Dr. Broda Barnes, many years ago, wrote a book called Hypothyroidism, the Unsuspected Illness. And Barnes's whole gig was take your temperatures, look, look at your temperature, and if your temperature is consistently below 97.8, you have a functional low thyroid. I don't care what your blood work says. And this was proved when we started using hair analysis on thyroid patients to look at those key mineral ratios. 
Now, when you do that with hair analysis, the lab that you use has to use milligrams percent in terms of how they, well, different labs use different equipment and it will give them different results. You can use, you can get parts per million, which is not as accurate as milligrams percent for this purpose. But you're, you need to look at the ratio of calcium to potassium and zinc to copper, because even in Guyton's physiology book, Guyton said that in some way we don't quite fully understand yet, calcium acts as a governor or a resistor to thyroxine while potassium sensitizes the cells to the effect of thyroxine. So then since then, we now know it broadens out to also the, the ratio of zinc to copper, and then your levels of selenium and your levels of iron in your tissues. Those are all things that are very important for a proper functioning thyroid. And when you have candida, all those things go wacky. Candida patients typically develop um, uh, copper toxicity just because their, um, their body holds copper because copper is used, it's, copper is commanded by your thymus gland to go into your lymph system and essentially electrocute uh, microbes. That's how copper works in your immune system. And the more microbial activity you have in your body, the higher that copper starts to build up because it's being used to try to stop these microbes. So then that throws your copper zinc ratio off. And then that throws your thyroid off. And that's one of the big, that's how the, the relationship between thyroid and candida begins. It's not so much that candida invades your thyroid and you get Hashimoto's because it throws you autoimmune. It's much deeper than that. It's occurring on the cellular level in this regard. So that's something that also needs to be corrected in the patient because thyroid function is essential to maintain proper body temperature. And most people don't understand what happens when you don't have a correct body temperature. That's one of the ways candida grows. Look at a fever. Why, do you, why does your body naturally have a fever? It raises the temperature to kill microbes that are invading you. Yeah. So that low lying underlying temperature all the time just sets up an environment for it to flourish, essentially. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is, I think, you know, when we talk about root cause, just for our podcast listeners, this is exactly what we're talking about finding the root cause to the root cause. Mm -hmm. uh, you can always chase symptoms, but if you never get to the underlying dysfunction, it's very hard to fully heal. Um, so we've, we've gone through the first phases. I think we got to phase three. What's phase yes. four? Well, phase four involves um, boosting one's immune system back to normal. So on, on phase four, we're looking at resetting all those trace minerals. We're looking at immunoglobulins, B cells, T cells. We're looking at correcting all that. But see, the interesting thing is if you don't correct the lower, you never get that fixed. So it's, it's in this protocol that I've set up, every phase that you do prepares your body for the next one to be able to work correctly. If you don't, if you don't do phase zero correctly, phase one doesn't work. If you don't do phase one correctly, phase two doesn't work. And it just goes on and on and on. You've got to, if you're building a foundation with the first step of phase zero going up the, that scale, and each phase is allowing the next one to be able to work correctly. So you can't get someone's immune system to work properly if their adrenals are crashed because there's the, there's the whole point of um, the sympathetic uh, stimulation to the sympathetic uh, innervated immune response. Your adrenals stimulate a certain immune response in your body. So if your adrenals are down, you're never going to get the immune system back up. Everyone thinks the immune system is the thymus gland. That's only just one part. There's actually six parts to your immune system. Your gut floor is one. 
and then you go through these different stages of your endocrine, your thyroid, your adrenal, your lymph, your um, your lymph and spleen, and then your thymus, and even your liver is part of it. So everything has to be lined up, otherwise it doesn't work. That's and that's what people are up against. And I feel it's it's horrible when you look on these um, the Facebook pages mm. and these different messaging boards where people. I mean, it's the blind leading the blind. And the, the, everyone is looking for the magic product. They're looking for three lakh. They're looking for like this one product that's going to handle it all. And if the, they only understood the roots to the whole issue, that this has probably been brewing in their body since they were a kid. And they first had the amalgam fillings shoved in their mouths. You know, they, it, it, that's why, you know, these, um, these self-treatments are bad. I mean, people have a right to self-treat themselves and, that right should never be taken away. That's those are one of those. That's one of the areas where we have to stop the government from interfering with a person's liberty to self-treat themselves. But on the other hand, people need to be educated to really understand what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we feel very similar. We when we approach clients, it's there's phases. It and the first phase is always making sure that your body's moving things how it needs to. Because you go in and put in candida eradication, and your body's not pooping. You're not. Oh, you're going to see one sick person. So many symptoms. So, and we have so many clients that come to us that have been on protocols and they tell us what they're on. And it's like, there's a lot missing here and probably why you're here and not healed and feeling better. Um, So you get, you get the, a lot missing. And then you get the other side of that, which is the one I call the Unga Pachka approach in Yiddish. Unga Pachka means everything thrown together. You're going to see the patient is on every, he's on phase zero, one, two, three. I just got everything all at once. And they're wondering why he's getting sick every time he takes these, all these vitamins. Yes. And, and he that, hasn't had a bowel moving in three weeks. Well, so oh my gosh. Yes. Send them to the colonist. That's one thing people always ask me, what can, what is not in your protocol that I can do that will speed things up? And I'll say, go to, for colonic treatments. Therapy. You'll be amazed at how fast it goes. Yep. Yeah. Colonic therapy. I've, I've recommended to a couple of clients as well. Um, so in that sense is that, you know, I know you mentioned on some things that we could cover is why taking supplements blindly to an extent can make you sicker. Um, is that one of the main reasons that you were thinking of mentioning is that because people are not draining properly, they're not addressing obviously things in the right order. Um, where do you see the biggest problems arise? The simplicity is in not testing. Or, or confusing testing. I get people who will come to me who do genetic tests and they come in with a, a bag, a shopping bag of supplements and they're on all these supplements because their genetic test said that they have problems that these supplements address. And then I have to break the bad news to them. I said, a genetic test doesn't tell you what's happening now. It's not a functional test. It's telling you what could happen. A genetic test is telling you shadows of things that can happen if we were going to be into like look at it from um the what was that what was it the christmas carol are these are these images of things that must happen future <laughs> yeah or not a genetic test is telling you what you're prone to and as when you study telemeters and you study the whole the whole business of genetics you understand that as you get older these genetic errors then can start to, to key in where when you're younger, they don't. So the person who's taking a bag full of supplements because his genetic test says he has all these weaknesses is, is doing something that's not really necessary because you don't know that those SNPs are active right now. So to me, the doctor of the future 
is one he does a genetic test to find out what you're prone to and then he does a functional test to find out what's really happening now and you compare the two and you know that if the functional test says one of these snips is active and doing bad things well you know you really need to jump on that and really work on that one because it's genetic but testing is always testing is always the key um years ago when i was um before i knew anything about candida one of my specialty was understanding nutrient interreactions. And I would explain to people how every, yes, it's true, vitamins are water soluble, but that doesn't mean they don't affect other nutrients. As an example, vitamin C requires copper in order to be utilized, copper and manganese. If you take enough vitamin C, you'll cause a copper deficiency because copper forms an enzyme, ascorbic acid oxidase, which then allows you to utilize vitamin C. So you can lower your copper down to the point of being deficient. And then the funny thing is the deficiency signs of copper are almost identical to vitamin C. You get bleeding gums, you get bruising, you get all of this. So this, um, this story is a, a good illustration of what I'm talking about. When I was first practicing, I think it was probably 1985 or 86, a chiropractor recommended a medical doctor come and see me because this medical doctor had a prostate problem. And the medical doctor came in and he says, well, you know, I read in the literature how zinc helped prostate and I had a terrible prostate problem. So I started taking 50 milligrams of zinc every day. And within about six months, my prostate problem was gone. He said, that was four years ago. And six months ago, my prostate problem came back. And I couldn't understand why, because I was still taking the zinc. And I said, you were only taking zinc? So yes, that's what the study said. It was zinc. He did say, okay. So he's taking the 50 milligrams of zinc for four years. His prostate problem comes back. And he said, I, so I, I was taking 100 milligrams a day, and it got even worse. And he says, I don't understand this. So I said, I tell you what, um, stop the zinc, and I want you to start taking copper. He called me a week later and the prostate problem was cleared up. Now, what did he do? He took so much zinc that he induced a copper deficiency and copper is your antibacterial nutrient in your body. Copper protects you from bacterial infections. So he caused the prostate infection by depleting his copper. I had, to do, had him do a hair analysis and sure enough, his, his zinc was like twice normal and his copper was like hardly, hardly the, the equipment could barely detect this. So just by... There is just one example, just by that little adjustment we made, his prostate problem was now okay again. And God knows he avoided himself probably coming down with all kinds of aggressive cancers due to the lack of copper, aggressive cancers, aneurysms, all these other things that happen when you're severely deficient in copper. So testing, even though people are taking vitamins, which seem to be harmless, you still have to test to find out that you're not causing an imbalance. So many people come to me and they're taking calcium and magnesium. And when I test them, I find out they don't need calcium. They only need magnesium because they're out of balance. Mm -hmm. So they stop the calcium. They start taking magnesium and B6. It comes back up. And now when you get the ratio corrected, now you can take some calcium. But, you, but everybody thinks immediately of calcium deficient, especially if they have osteoporosis, which is not true. There's two types of osteoporosis. There's the one type where you're calcium deficient. That's an absolute deficiency. And there's the other kind where there's a relative deficiency or if the calcium is biologically unavailable to your tissues because your body's not metabolizing it. And when you do a hair mineral test on these people, you see their calcium and magnesium off the graph in that case. And in the other case, it's a, the calcium is very low. 
So with the person who has it off the graph, who insists on taking more calcium to fix it is actually pushing themselves towards arterial sclerosis because that calcium is going to build up in their arteries. It's not going to their bone. It's not available to the bone. They're not metabolizing it correctly. You've got to free that calcium up before it will go to the bone and then get back in the matrix. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say testing. When a person wants to take supplements, the correct thing to do is go to a functional doctor who can really test you so that you're not taking the wrong things or you're not taking an excess amount of something that you don't need. Yeah. What are some of the favorite, I mean, you've talked about a lot of tests and things from even years ago. Hair and mineral analysis has been around for quite a while, but present day, if someone was coming into you know your clinic, what are some of those starting test that you would utilize to identify what's going on? Well, when in doubt, um, the OATS test is a great test because the OATS, OATS test has a pretty reliable dysbiosis panel that it starts with. And then it goes through looking at your level of oxalates, your mitochondrial function. It looks at the function of a lot of your nutrients. It looks at your amino acids, some of your neurotransmitters, so that's a very good test. And I say, when in doubt, when I, when I get a person and I, I'm not 100% sure candida is their major problem because they might have metabolic issues, that's the first test I want to run is the oats because the oats right off the bat is going to separate all that out. I love the oats. Otherwise, you're, you're not running specific tests. You're going off of symptoms and blood yeah. work, or kind of taking them through the phases. Well, usually usually they come to me with all their lab work from the 20,000 other doctors they've seen for the past 10 years. So I have all this lab work and then I have their history and symptoms. And from that, I'm going to determine what further testing I'm going to do. This, it's very rare. I, I get someone come to me who's a novice. Most of the people who come to me know more than their doctors do already. Yeah. So they come in with a lot of tests. They come in with all the research they've been doing. And then I have to determine what additional tests I need to run or what was overlooked. So in that case, that's why I would, with many people, I would start with the OATS test because it will tell me how bad their candida levels are versus other metabolic issues they might have. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, this has been great. I mean, I'm just thinking there's so many things that we could you know, cover in terms of conventional medicine. Um, you know, why would you say most treatments fail? with them. I mean, I've seen it time and time again. And you I don't know, you don't know the, the golden rule. What is that? Golden rule is you never cure the patients, number one, yeah. and you never kill the patients <laughs> because if you cure him or you kill him, you've lost the customer. Right. And then the pharmaceutical rep that comes to you is going to be really mad because you're not selling the drugs. Yeah. Yep. Wow. The power of inductive reasoning. Um, yeah. I mean, because that's what it boils down to medicine as we have it today, heroic medicine is great. I mean, God forbid you get into an accident. I mean, we have the highest technology of all time in terms of heroic medicine, as far as treating chronic conditions, it's laughable because if they're not met, do you know that in many States in the United States is illegal to say that you can cure certain illnesses. Mm -hmm. You can't claim you can cure things. It's illegal. Because the drug companies don't have a patent on that drug that says you can cure it. So therefore it's illegal. You're a quack if you say you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I saw a great meme today. It was talking about pharmaceuticals and it said, is it really a side effect or is it unadvertised effects? You know, and I think it's one of those things where we say it's not a side effect. It's an effect. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is 
it's it's a it's driven a by the drug you are yeah. having. Um, I mean, and watching I, commercials nowadays on drugs, just, I mean, you could you I, break out laughing hysterically. Why yeah. would I want to take this drug after I hear my head's going to fall off? I'm going to grow three feet. I mean, <laughs> and my, thumbs, it's my, insane. My husband is like, you hate this, don't you? Whenever a drug commercial comes out, I get this look on my face where I just get so angry. It's <laughs> just like, it's so frustrating because one, they can market and advertise these things, obviously. And two, think about all the things that instead of saying, Maybe it's diet, maybe it's lifestyle, maybe it's stress, maybe it's, you know, a million other things versus just take this. You well, won't get better, but your symptom might go away. Going back to John D. Rockefeller and his discovery that he could use his petroleum waste products to synthesize medicines and make drugs. Right back then, it was never intended that they were going to cure anything. It's all based on symptom management. You have a, you have a condition, we're going to control this, the condition with the drugs that you have to buy from us every month. And that's the way that business is. Why they hate alternative medicine is because alternative medicine is bent on finding the reason and then fixing the reason where that's not their thing at all. That's not what they're there for. They're there to control symptoms. Mm -hmm. And once a person understands that philosophical difference between alternative medicine, alternative health and pharmaceutical, but you grant the devil his due that in heroic medicine and, and saving lives and accidents, I mean, they're the best in the world. Yeah. I'm not going to have a patient get into a car accident. And I'm going to tell them to take a yogurt assist shake. I'm, I'm not going to, that's, that's insane. They have to go to the hospital and be treated by the experts. But in terms of dealing with a chronic condition, they don't want to know. Mm -hmm. They're not taught that way. You're not taught that. Some of my best friends are medical doctors and we have these discussions all the time, but, but there are these people are fun, now functional medical doctors because they they want to cure people and they learn they had to take weekend seminars and learn all this because they're not taught to find a cure. They're, they're taught to find things which are, if, if it's a cause, you remove it. You see? Surgery. You, burn, you burn it out. You remove it. You I burn heard. it out. You something. But they're not, they're not taught that there's a cure. They're not taught what the underlying condition is, what the underlying reason. Yep. Because as you were saying before, they don't study nutrition. They don't know that there's an underlying imbalance in the body. There's not a drug deficiency. No such thing as a person having a deficiency of a drug, but they're not taught along those lines. That's yeah. why there's such a philosophical difference. And that's why they're, um, unfortunately, the way the buck, you follow the buck and you find out what's happening. Yeah, it's very unfortunate for the human population. In general, because the worst part of it is with uh, psychopharmaceutical drugs. Oh, yeah, that, because that's the biggest scam in history. It's... The biggest scam in history. There's a um, a website cch cchr.int.org, which has a video that's called "The Marketing of Madness," and it explains how, from the very beginning, all these psychopharmaceutical drugs have been marketed to people. They've done incredible jobs, the most brilliant job of marketing I've ever seen before in my life to sell these drugs to people. And the, these psychopharmaceutical drugs, there's no evidence of how they work. They don't do studies on them, really. They only do studies looking for side effects. But half of the things they won't tell you. You know, during the Prozac, Prozac trials, there were an incredible amount of suicides, and all of that just got stuffed under the well under the, the one rug. thing that we've talked about before is that medical disorder i'm sorry mental disorders is one of the only areas that there's literally no testing for it's all based off symptoms it's all based yes. off someone tells you 
I don't feel good. I'm tired. I'm sad. Whatever, you know, symptomology they go off of. There's there's no testing and very, very minimal of them are actual neurotransmitter disruptions. And And there's no, there's also no proof that a chemical imbalance ever existed. Exactly. With, within the field of psychiatry, they have no, absolutely no proof of the quote chemical imbalance that they constantly talk about. They have no proof. When you ask for it, they, they can't give you anything. In our field, we can show neurotransmitter imbalances. We can test you for a neurotransmitter imbalance and we can show that imbalance. They can't, and yet they're prescribing all of these very dangerous, powerful drugs. And if you if you want to, the funny thing is, if you want to look at all the shootings that we've had in the last 20 years, when you look at every shooter, you find out almost all of them are either on a prescribed psychiatric drug or they're coming off of it. And coming off of it is often the most dangerous part. Because if you don't know how to handle that person coming off that drug, and they don't, because how you handle that person is what nutrition. You handle them with vitamins, with amino acids. That's how you help that person get off the drug so that their chemistries rebalance. Because they don't know that these doctors don't know really what those, chem- those, those drugs are doing to the person's biochemistry. And then when they combine them, here's where you're really in for fun. They take all these different psychopharmaceutical drugs, they combine them, and all these commercials you hear about, well, if this drug isn't helping you enough, let take combine it with ours. They have no clue what new compounds they're producing in your body. So, but magnesium is dangerous. Don't take yes. it. Yes, yes, that's right. It's dangerous. It can give oh. you diarrhea. Oh my god! Yeah, and you know, one of the things that uh, we had another um, functional practitioner of ours on, and, and the reason why that she, you know she got into this is because of her son and ADHD medications and so forth. And she was sharing the story that you know he was put on um, some different uh, medications, and then there was side effects, and so it was another medication to treat the side effects. And then there was another medication. I think it was up to five before mm-hmm. she said, this is Got enough. It. And then she started studying and now has gotten into, you know, the, this field of work to help other people. Because again, thinking about those things, right? A lot of underlying infections and mineral imbalances and many things that we can improve uh, for people naturally. And so this has been, yeah, this amazing. has just been, it's, I mean, there's I'm so sure many we things can talk for that we could talk about, about all of our um, and so I will have you share. I know we have a special audience giveaway. If you guys are listening to this, I will put this in the uh, show notes as well, but you can get a copy of the Candida Chronicles and the five-phase treatment plan that we've talked through today um, by emailing drb at health-truth.com. So all of that will be uh, in the show notes, but if you wouldn't mind, let people know where they can find you, connect with you. Um, are you practicing in person still? I know that you have your um, center for clinical nutrition, but is that in Florida area or online? Um, you- no, we we now we only do consultations online because we find we can help a lot more people all over the world by doing the consultations online. So we're doing that exclusively. And they can find me through three, there are three different websites. We have the New York City Thyroid Doctor, the New York City Candida Doctor, and then we have our main website, which is health-truth.com. So they can find me through any of those venues. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm sure our listeners will find this really interesting. I found it very interesting. (laughs) 